Good evening again, everybody. I want to start off by making uh, three apologies. I don't normally start by doing apologies, but first, uh, first one is this. I apologise for my voice. I do have a cold. It's just a cold, so if it's slightly irritating, sorry about that. Um, the second is, I know my two daughters are here tonight. I just want to do an advanced apology for I'm going to embarrass them in a moment. Um, just by the what I'm going to do. And uh, the third one is, I just want to say, my intro is going to be as embarrassing for me as it is probably for them and for you in a second. But here it goes. Are you ready? Look at me taking this specimen of a man standing in front of you. I'll leave you to decide whether you like it or not. But I won't particularly look at my face. Cheeky smile, slightly unruly hair going a bit grey, sadly. Wrinkles appearing around my eyes. But um, anyway, actually, I, I think a few of you at the back are struggling to see me close enough, so look. There we go. <laughs> it was taken a few years ago, that, but I don't think I've changed too much. Anyway, so... Uh, don't worry, I'm not trying to start the Church of Richard uh, rug. Um, so you're probably wondering where I am going with this. Well, you've looked at me, you've looked at this photo. Now I want you to actually look and see uh, who you think this photo might be. Anyone want to have a stab? Let me flick back between the two, Dom, at the back. Is it, is it Austin Powers? Is it Austin Powers? No, it's close. <laughs> Can you see any resemblance in those photos? Pardon? It's my dad, yeah. It's my dad, taken from about when, well, I didn't want to put him up there because he's old and wrinkly now, but um, taken about a similar age for me. I think the particular one on the left is very similar smile. I think you can see some, quite a few bit of family resemblance in there, can't you? Yes, good, thank you. At least one person agrees. Good. That's gone down really well, this start. Okay. Um, so now, although, as I said, I, I love my dad, I love my whole family, in fact, my mum, I even love my sister. Um, but when somebody says, I'm just like my dad, I find it a bit annoying. Uh, does anyone else find that? If somebody says, oh, you're just like your parents, is it, or is that also just me that finds that? No, there's a few hands going up. That's good. I don't mind being a bit like them. I don't mind there being a little bit of family resemblance. But when somebody says, I'm just like them, I just think, oh... I'm my own person. I want to be who I am, uh, myself. This evening, we're looking at this, uh, continuing this series, as Tom said a few moments ago, looking at the Apostles' Creed, which is like the, trying to be the sort of irreducible core, what's at the heart of the Christian faith, of what followers of the Christian faith believe. And so far, we've looked at, just so that no one's lost, in case you're, you're visiting or have missed them, we've looked at how we, Christians believe in a God, who wants to, us to call him Father, Dad, as we've heard. He's almighty and powerful, but loving and caring towards his children. His desire is to be us, for us to be close to him and to be part of his family. That's what we've looked at so far. And tonight we're looking at the next uh, couple of lines that say this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, as we do that, we're going to explore God 
in the person of Jesus. What is the relationship like between father and son? How is it similar or different to perhaps our relationship with our parents or those that have cared for us? And my prayer is that how we do this, we're going to see how this desire of God to be with us is at the very core of who he is as we begin to look at who Jesus is. So I'm not going to fully cover Jesus tonight. I think it's Patrick speaking next week. He's going to uh, take uh, or explore Jesus even further. But let me just pray as we get underway. Heavenly Father, as we begin to look at who you are in your son, Jesus Christ, I pray again that you will open our eyes and our hearts to hear from you tonight that we might be amazed at the greatness of who you are and your love for us. Amen. So I've got three main points that I want to share with you tonight. I'm going to try to build up a little bit. Some of them are going to be uh, things you you might know, but it's really, really important, crucial building blocks to to the Christian faith. And the first is this. I've touched on it already. Jesus isn't just good. He's God. If you didn't know this, Jesus is one of the most well-documented figures in human history. We can have confidence that he was real and that he existed. Even Bart Ehrman, who some of you may have heard of, but some of you might not have known, he's one of the most uh, well-known, popular, uh, well, haters of the Christian faith, to put it uh, 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 Bluntly, he writes a planet about um, writes a book about um, once a year, trying to tear down the Christian faith. Even he agrees. He's argued and publicly challenged other atheists who say that Jesus was a purely fictional character. He's argued with them, saying, "Well, if you look at the historical evidence, you can't say that. It just doesn't add up." You find read Jesus in the writings of so many historians outside of the Bible. I'm going to name a few of them, but not all of them because some of their names are really difficult to pronounce. So you've got, you've got Thallus, who was a first century Greek writer. You've got a guy called Pliny the Younger. You've got Roman historians whose names I'm not going to mention. And the Jewish uh, historian as well, Josephus. And we've also got, as well, the most detailed recordings of Jesus' life in four biographical accounts in Scripture, the Gospels as we commonly know them, we can have confidence that Jesus was a real person that existed. But what the Christian faith requires of us is not just to believe that Jesus was a a real person, but also that he was God. And, And that really matters. Because actually, if Jesus wasn't God then the Christian faith falls apart. We might as well sort of give up and go home now. The Old Testament is really clear that God and God alone is the one that can save us. And if Jesus isn't God, then obviously we aren't saved. So... We're going to look at, uh, there's loads of Bible passages tonight that we could look at, but there's one in particular that I just like um, you to either get open on your uh, mobile devices or there's Bibles at the back if you want to. And we're going to look at uh, the opening to the letter of Paul to the Romans, so the book of Romans, and the first seven verses of it. 
So Romans 1, verses 1 to 7, I'll read them to us. Let's give you all a few moments to find it because a few of you are looking. Right, let's go. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his holy prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, that's Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, Gentiles, if you don't know, just a posh word for anybody else that wasn't from the Jewish um, nation. So we're all Gentiles here, probably, unless you're from a Jewish nation. To call all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these verses we see a guy called Paul who is probably um, the, the greatest sort of early church spreader, evangelist. He was previously really sceptical about Christianity so much, well, very sceptical, um, so much so that he actually went round and authorised to have early Christians killed And he transformed from that attitude to declaring Jesus as Lord and God and wrote um, many of the books that we find in the New Testament section of the Bible. Do you notice some of the things he says about Jesus in there? He says about himself that he is a servant of Jesus for the gospel of God. Jesus had both both human nature, he's descendant of David, but he also announces him as God's only son. And he gives Jesus this title in the reading. He calls him Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to explain what that titles or those names mean when he calls it Lord Jesus Christ because it, it might just whiz over our heads. Well, first of all, if you didn't know this, Jesus is a literally means God saves. Jesus' name was God saves. But now let's move on to the Christ bit. The word is kind of like actually more a title. We should perhaps say Jesus the Christ rather than just Jesus Christ. And Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Now the Messiah was for the Jewish people, so the people that God came and lived amongst, was the phrase they used for the anointed one of God. So here we have the name Jesus the Christ, meaning God saves through his anointed one. And what about the Lord part? I mean, we just, I don't know, when I hear Lord, I might automatically go to the apprentice and Lord Sugar. Does anybody else's mind go there? I don't know why. But we've kind of misused that a little bit and it's flipped a bit in our society but the word where Paul uses the word uh, Lord is the Greek equivalent for the title that was used in the Old Testament scriptures that were pointing 
towards um, that, that in the Old Testament that was used for God himself. So the title, Lord Jesus Christ, what Paul is saying literally means Jesus is God, the anointed one who comes to save us. What a pretty cool name is that. So what's the significance of this? Well, there's loads, and like I said, there's going to be more next week, but there's two things I really want to say about this kind of understanding of the Christian faith and why it's so central. It is that Jesus, as God, makes him an awesome guide for us. One of the things that makes the Christian faith unique from any other world major religion is that we believe that God can be known personally. And this happens through Jesus, the Son. All that stuff that we've talked about in previous weeks about God the Father being for us and loving us is demonstrated, and wanting what's best for us, is demonstrated beautifully and perfectly in Jesus. Jesus came and crossed this like holy divide that there was between God the Father and us. He came to be with us physically, lived amongst us. Paul in one of his other letters says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And as the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus is also this exact representation of who God is when we look at him. We can look at him and know and be assured of who God is and how he wants us to live and be. I think that's amazing. Now, a few of you, I think there's probably more of you agreed, um, when I asked at the start, who wants to be said that they are just like somebody else, we kind of all, well, I and a number of you felt a bit mm, about that. I like to be my own individual person. But how do we know that, that when we look at Jesus, he's like a really, like a good reputation of his father in heaven? Well, I want to share with you a couple of things that Jesus said about himself. He says this. I think Holly touched on this, uh, used this verse last week. But this is what Jesus says. He says, I and the father are one. And in addition to that, he goes on to say, I only do what I see my Father doing. So we know about Jesus when we look at him. There is perfect unity between him and the Father. They are distinct people, persons, whatever you want to call them, Father and Son. But they are also one because there is perfection and total unity in who they are between them. When I was growing up, there was a craze that was started in the Christian world. Um, I think it's kind of still going now. I think it started when I was young. I learned about it when I was in my early teens. And it it became really popular to wear WWJD bracelets. Still kind of around, aren't they? Does everybody know? Who, anybody heard of them? That my age, anyone younger, still know what they are. 
you don't know what they do, they, the WWJD stood for What Would Jesus Do? Um, and you're supposed to wear them on bracelets. So wherever you went, you'd see them and you'd have this, this, uh, this question around you. So if you ever stuck or didn't know how to act or behave or whether your conscience was pricked, you would see those words and you would think, oh, what would Jesus do in this situation? And um, I always thought it was quite a, like, uh, a high bar and a high question to ask yourself because actually what Jesus would do in a certain situation is probably... In, in some of them, it's probably not something I could do. I couldn't heal someone just by touching them, which is what Jesus went around to do, and I certainly didn't want to die for the sins of the whole world. I often thought a more appropriate question was, uh, what would Jesus want me to do in this situation, rather than WWJD, but it wasn't quite, you know, WWJWTDI. S is not quite as catchy, is it? But the point remains, anyway, Jesus is our example to follow. We need to look to him, trust who he was, listen to his words, his wisdom. He is the ultimate guide to go to, to know how to live, to know how to be. For this God who wants what is truly best for us. And the final point, my third point tonight is this. Jesus as God is an awesome go-between. He is a mediator. He is the one who restores our relationship with God the Father when we mess up and go wrong. He prays for us at the right hand of God, not as a distant relative who doesn't know us, but as our friend, as the one who came to live among us who knows what we're like and yet loves us anyway. How incredible is that? When we pray to God, we don't have to explain what it's like. He already knows. He knows what it's like here on earth because he's been down. He's lived. He's had friends. He's he's suffered. He's felt. He's had joy. He's been lonely. We have a God who has come and been through life with us, not distantly. I know sometimes I can get frustrated when perhaps I'm struggling or trying to share something with somebody and that you know they're trying to be loving and sympathetic but you just really feel that they don't understand. Has anybody ever here used the phrase, you don't know what I'm going through? Again, you're not very responsive tonight, it's just me, but anyway, I'm not sure. I'm sure we all have, even maybe if you haven't said it, we've, we've thought it. Well, God does know what we're like. Maybe some of us here tonight are just having questions. You don't know how hard it's been during lockdown. You don't know. You feel isolated. You feel alone. Perhaps you feel suffered and you've hurt. God knows how you're feeling. He's not just sympathetic in a way, but not quite understanding. He knows through Jesus We have a God that is for us and with us and wants what's best for us and I knows us well. Through Jesus, God is always close to us, even if it doesn't feel like it. As I finish, I just want to go back to some or the last couple of lines from that reading that we had at the start from Romans. And I'm just going to leave a few moments for them to pause and sink in before Tom comes up. Because no matter how we're feeling, 
you need to know that Jesus knows and loves you and he's calling you to come to him and to know him and he wants you to know this grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ.